2 Corinthians chapter 6. We are in verses 1 through 10. Our focus today will be verse 7. Let us pray and read the word of the Lord together. Merciful King, we come now with grateful hearts, Father, as we have partaken of the Lord's table. And yet, Father, as I look at this and understand the privilege of being an ambassador to the King of kings and Lord of lords, Father, to be given each of us this ministry of reconciliation, and Father, the urgency of the day, and yet the power of your love in the lives of believers. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. But Father, give us hearts that are bowed to your throne. And Father, we may give the glory and excellence unto you in the power of you to the glory of you. In Christ's name, amen. Chapter 6, verse 1. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, and in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, and as having nothing yet possessing all things. (laughs) Wow, this is good. Let me take you back to the phrase, that we started with last week. In much enduring. In much enduring. If you were to take the Apostle Paul's life and summarize it. Here it is. This was the Apostle Paul's ministry. Uh, you can say a lot of things about his ministry. But if I wanted to give it a summary. I would have to say much endurance. And and the truth of the matter is, if you're honest with yourself, from the start to the finish, he never wavered, he never stopped, he never slowed down, he never blinked, he never kowtowed, he was never manipulated, he moved through. The word there, hupomene, and and I want to go back to this word because uh, it's easy for you and I to look at this and say, oh yes, I will commend myself to God in much endurance. And I'm thinking that there's a part of us that don't understand this. One is, um, hupomene is to bear under hard labor, um, to bear under difficulties against one's will. Um, when I looked at secular Greek on this, it literally, the secular Greek used this word most of the time, uh, the suffering of grief in battle. Or even to the death in battle. Um, I, I read some of the contemporaries and they will say it's spiritual staying power. Um, and, and, but I would have to go, if I take the secular line of it and take the contemporary line of it, I would say, yeah, it's spiritual staying power that belongs only to those willing to die for the cause. Okay, it's used 45 times in the New Testament, 30 times as a noun, 15 times as a verb. Um, It's very common to be used in the New Testament uh, because it was speaking of a noble virtue. Um, But if you look at it in the bulk of its time, it is used with either working or trouble. Uh, Let me give you a for instance. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 3. 
And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about hupomene, perseverance, perseverance. In James chapter 1, verse 3, you can go look these up. It is speaking of faith. And there is a perseverance unto faith. Okay, the word is hopomene. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, you will see that there is an endurance of hope. And it is a perseverance of hopomene, to hope. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, you see, it is an enduring of joy, a perseverance of joy. Enduring, so when I look at the word hupomene, and I think about the Paul writing here, I'm thinking of much enduring in faith, much enduring in hope, much enduring in joy. It is most often used in the New Testament with the idea I am persevering through this in a mindset of faith, hope, and joy because of the coming future glory. You see that in Romans chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 10 and Hebrews chapter 12 and 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in James chapter 1 and in James chapter 5. And it speaks of future glory. Okay, it's... It's not an endurance with your head hung low. It's not an endurance of, I just got drugged through this. Okay? That is not hupomane. Hupomane, the person who is doing much enduring, you can't tell they're enduring because their endurance is based on faith, hope, and joy with the coming glory. There is a huge difference. I have seen people who want you to know that they're enduring. Okay? And I mean, they're, they're wearing their endurance as a badge of honor. And let me show you my endurance. Okay? The ones that will freak you out are the ones who have an unwavering faith in the midst of the trial because their hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ because they are standing in the joy of their redemption. Because they know what future glory brings. That is the terminology that the Apostle Paul is living here. Showing you and I here. It is a spirit of an individual. Which accepts the worst of circumstances. Not, not with a grin and bear it. But with a faith, hope and joy anticipating coming glory. I want to hang on to this word, triumph. They are victorious. And it don't matter what the issue is. No matter the difficulties, their faith, their hope, and their joy is absolutely intact. There's nothing wavering it. There's nothing causing it to blink. They accept it gladly. They accept it. You ready for this? Patiently. That's always our strong suit, isn't it? Yeah, I don't mind enduring as long as it's fast. Okay? And it says, I run the race that is before me as long as it's a 40-yarder. Okay, I played football. 40 yards, that's all you run. Why? Cause. <laughs> 45, we die. Poof. <laughs> we disappear. I was reading one of the early church fathers on this word, hupomene, Christon. And I like this definition that he gives. I quote, Hupomenai is a fortress that is never taken and a harbor that knows no storm. Unquote. That's kind of awesome. I like that. Because with much endurance, you can't tell that they're enduring. 
Okay, now, I back into this again. That, that, I, I wanted to go back to that word because you guys need to get a big view of what this word is. When he says much enduring, he's not saying I'm going to get through this one way or the other. That ain't the word. That's the way we have the word enduring right now. That is not the word that is used here in the original language. It's how it's translated in the English. But I, but I want you to think about something. This section right here is broke into nine and nine. Okay, nine issues. Okay, but if I, I was looking at this and it's totally awesome. If you look at it, nine of them is the hatred of the world. To the ambassador, to the minister of God. That first nine, beatings, imprisonment, tumults, labors, and afflictions, hardships, distresses, and all the rest. That's what the world, that's because the world hates us, and that's, that's there. So I have much endurance in that. But the next nine that we've been working our way through, and, and I don't have a better word, so if you can come up with one, um, plug it in. It's obligations of God. Obligations of God. Purity, knowledge, patience, kindness in the, whole, in the Holy Spirit, genuine love, the word of truth, the power of God, the weapons of righteousness. Those are all God. So when you look at much endurance, you're looking at, I'm dealing with this hostile world, and I'm also dealing with a holy God. I told you that it was pressure. You have the pressure of a hostile world. You don't think so? Really? Look around you, brothers and sisters. Tell me it ain't hostile to the word of God. But I also have the obligations of a holy God. The pressures of God. Uh, most of you have jobs uh, outside and if I were to go through, most of you would have a, a foreman or a boss or a supervisor or someone that you do not really think that highly of and you believe sometimes don't really deserve to be your boss. Right? Except for maybe David Norm. <laughs> so, okay. And if they do, they ain't admitting it. Okay, but... You guys ever thought about my boss? My boss is a perfectionist. And I'm still trying to figure out why he hired me. Because he knows that my shortcoming would be along the perfectionist line. And yet, if you are a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, you serve my boss. And so there is an obligation that is put onto you by your Redeemer because you are not your own. You have been bought and paid for with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He endured and he endured at a high standard. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. We are afflicted in every way, but not Christ. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life works in you. And see, that goes back to what was his joy in. The sufferings of this world cannot compare to the glories that come. That is much enduring. This endurance. Now, that, now I want you to think about this because you read this about the Apostle Paul and you go, Oh, dude, this is serious stuff here now. You know, got that indwelling spirit, got the written word of God. That man is just rocking and rolling the universe. Well, I would say, yes, he was doing that. But I would also tell you, that this endurance, Hupomene, was around way before the Apostle Paul. Hebrews chapter 11. We know this, many of us know this as the 
Faith Hall of Fame. The giants of the faith. Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Rahab. But I want to pick it up at verse 32. What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. He says there were people before Paul who had much enduring on something they had no visible sight of, no complete understanding, and never even entered into the promise. They were before the cross. And they had much endurance in spite of things that they were only hoping for. Chapter 12, Therefore, since we have so great a crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that easily entangles. And let us run with endurance. Much endurance. The race that is before I. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. I mean, that should rock your universes, people. Triumphal endurance. The negative is the world's hostility. The positive is God's obligations. Much endurance. Paul lived. Paul served with much endurance. And he never, never blinked. He never wavered. He never stuttered. He never gave in. We are all called to do the same. The standard has not changed. It's amazing if you look at the body of Christ today. I don't see this. I don't know if it's preached or not, but you, you can get mad at me if you want. I didn't write the thing. We are ambassadors. We are ministers of reconciliation. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. We well, know this text. Put on the full armor of God. So you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against powers and against world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Verse 14, stand firm, therefore, Having girded your loins with truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's endurance. I don't care what you call it. How do I resist the devil? With endurance. How do I stand? With endurance. Paul told Timothy, evil times will come. But stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. See, the plans of the enemy... It's to throw lies, to throw accusations. See, the false will attack reputation. 
And they would cause people to lose confidence. They were cause, trying to cause people to lose confidence in the Apostle Paul. It's very common. And, and one of the common phrases that you will always hear, and it is alive and thriving today. It is so massive in the body of Christ today that I'm not sure in the historical time since the birth of the church that it has ever been this strong. The reason he suffers, he has secret shame. He has secret sin. And God is continually punishing him. And most people in the body of Christ today think if you're going through something awful, God knows what's really going on in your life. You might as well confess it. You take it back to the oldest book in the book, the Bible. The book of Job. What did his buddies tell him? Whatever you're doing, Job, stop it. And there wasn't anything. God himself said, Job is my most righteous man in the east. And yet he suffered. Because that is ministry. You have the hostility of the world. And you have the holiness of God. They accused the Apostle Paul of being sinful. They accused him of being deceitful. And they believed that God was punishing him. And they were missing the point. You know, I thought about this and I wrestled with this. I've spent a lot of time with Paul here in the last few years. The result of Paul's... Are you ready for this? The result of Paul's suffering was directly proportionate to his faithfulness. That's amazing to me. Because I look at what is touted today as walking with Christ, and it ain't got nothing to do with faithfulness. The suffering he had was not from God, it was from wicked men and demons. And the reason that he had these attacks from wicked men and demons was because of his faithfulness to the holiness of who God is. Anyone faithful to the gospel of reconciliation must expect what Jesus said would come to pass. A servant is not above his master. They hated me first. They will hate you. That's why I call this section... Joy and sorrow of ministry. And I guess I could have thrown in uh, the word great. Great joy and great sorrow, which is ministry. You will be loved. You will be hated. You will be honored. You will be dishonored. And yet we must endure. Paul endured and Paul did it the same way. He's given you and I a perspective there that you see in that outline on how we can do it. Those who oppose truth, God wanting us to be faithful to that truth. That would be the natural and the supernatural. I have the pressure of a hostile world. I have the pressure of a holy God. Okay. Last week we started with these obligations to God. Impurity, knowledge, and patience, kindness, and the Holy Spirit and genuine love. I'm not going to go back over those. Because I want to deal with these next three. Next three. He says, in the word of truth. In the word of truth. In Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. The gospel. Remember, God is reconciling sinners. How's he doing it? By the word of God. By the word of truth. Colossians 5. You see the same phrase back over in uh, James chapter 1, verse 18. James chapter 1, 
verse 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Same phrase. Born again by the word of truth. Faithful to proclaim his gospel. It is the word of truth. And you know what? The apostle Paul never wavered on the gospel. Do you ever notice that? He never wavered on the gospel. We are 2,000 years out and the assault is where? On the gospel. I'm tired of people telling me that Catholics are Christians. I don't want to hear that Mormons are Christians. Their gospel is not the same as mine. If their gospel is not the same as mine, they are not Christian. And I'm thinking 2,000 years out, you would think we have that figured out. I remember when the ruckus with Catholics and evangelicals together for the betterment of society. And I blew up. I said, are you out of your minds? Well, but there's some great leaders signing. I don't care. That is silly. The assault is still there. I listened to it... uh, I was trying to remember the year, I think it was the early 70s, mid-70s, there was a book came out called The Gospel According to Jesus. And I've read the book. Actually, I've read the book multiple times. It was the first publication of Dr. MacArthur. Phenomenal book. I mean, phenomenal. And it caused more problems in the evangelical community than any single publication. And I'm sitting there going, well... What's wrong with this? Well, you don't understand. Well, you're right. So I would talk to people. Well, what happens is you get saved. And then you live your life and you do your little things. And at some point in your life, all of a sudden you will realize and you will grow and stand firm enough to make Jesus your Lord. And I'm sitting there going, I don't make Jesus my Lord. Jesus is Lord. And he really don't care about our opinion. And I've seen us. We wouldn't do a good job of it anyway. But all of a sudden, well, but you don't understand. There's more to it than him being Lord. Really? Really? Now listen, I'm talking evangelical leaders. And I'm sitting there going, oh... You're telling me that the foundation stone of what is salvation, we don't know it? That's worse than Houston. You got a problem. I've heard dissertations and been involved in it. What are the bare necessities for salvation? Their necessities. Isn't that a song? Dude, I got news for you. If you're looking for the bare necessities of salvation, you don't understand salvation. You know, can't we just all be Christians? Everybody who has a higher thing? I remember a guy who was a leader in this church before I got into leadership of this church. And I remember the uh, one Star Trek movie when they went and seen the Supreme Power, a big old thing, a pink ooze that was the controlling force of creation. If you know, if I was a Star Trek fan, sorry. But anyway, you know, I watched it and you just sit there and you go, wow, I just thought God would be taller. But anyway, um, I remember him sitting there saying, well, you know, it's just a deity force. He's leadership of the church. And he says, and you can picture him even as a big blob of jello. Really? And you're in leadership of the church, serving a bowl of jello. That's why you ain't made Jesus as Lord. <laughs> you and Bill Cosby hanging out with jello. But he's still trying to get at how can we be that confused after 2,000 years? 
I know people right now who says, well, I'm going to go get a class and take a class on how, how to evangelize and to share the gospel. Really? Perhaps if you would just read it. I don't understand it. Now listen, I'm not trying to pick a fight here. I'm trying to say the essence of what we do is the gospel. It is the word of truth. Okay, and you know what? The apostle Paul, they stoned him and left him for dead on the word of truth. He was giving the message of reconciliation and he never wavered. They threw him out on a pile of manure. He came back to consciousness and went back in and picked up where he left off. Second thing that you see there that is due to our Savior is the power of God. So you have the word of truth in the power of God. Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation first to the Jew then to the Gentile. <laughs> How can we miss that? We proclaim the gospel. We are not ashamed of that gospel because I understand that gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Listen. Let me give you a text here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Okay? Do you understand something about that verse right there? It's really clear. There's almost a simplicity to it. And yet I listen to what we proclaim as the gospel today, and I keep thinking, where did you get that at? Where in the Bible does it say the hair stands up on the back of your neck and you walk down the aisle and say some prayer, you will be saved? Well, but that's sort of like the Romans text. It says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be. That's a big difference in hair standing up on my neck and me saying some prayer. Okay. If I confess that he is Lord, you know what I'm saying? I am in agreement he is Lord. Oh, that's sort of like lordship salvation, isn't it? Sort of. You could say that. Yes, possibly. It would be shoehorned into lordship salvation. Uh-huh. And you believe he raised him from the dead. Yeah. Uh -huh. Seems pretty simple to me. I don't see what the, comp the problem with that is. Why? Because both of those are of the power of of God. Have you ever shared uh, the gospel with a loved one and you get that calf at a new gate look? Like, what was that? First time I ever shared the gospel in an evangelistic point was the doctrine of election. Okay? <laughs> well, start off easy. <laughs> okay? And the guy's been walking with Christ ever since. Has a powerful prison minister. Okay? But you don't start out with the doctrine of election. You start out with the gospel of John. Well, that's what I was studying at the time. <laughs> and God opened the door and I thought, well, if God opened the door, it's in his power. This is what I'm studying. I'm rolling it out. And God saved him and he's been walking ever since. Okay, well, that's not exactly. Well, wait a minute. Are you the power behind salvation? Or is God the power behind salvation? It's not shallow. And Paul was clear. He knew that this was of God. Chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, verse 1. And when I came to you, brother, and I did not come in superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power. 
so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. See, Paul knew where the power was. The power was in the truth. The truth was revealed in the gospel. Paul understood that. And with much endurance, he was assaulted physically. He was assaulted spiritually. He had to deal with confusion on theology. And, And I hear it all of the time. And that's when you'll hear me use my phrase. And where is that in the Bible? Well, I don't know. I heard it. Well, gee whiz, I hear things too. Paul never wavered. He preached the word. He preached the word in the power of God. He saw the power revealed. There was no hesitation. It was not shallow and he endured much and he did it triumphantly from start to finish. Thirdly, how do I do this? It's easy. How do I put meat and bones on this? Easy. The weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. I like this. I like this. You're going to get off on this. Armed in both hands. Do you know why a soldier would be armed in both hands? Because he will have to fight on all sides. And sometimes he has to turn around and get the ones behind him. And the weapons that he uses in both hands to fight on all sides are the weapons of righteousness. Oh, you mean the sword of truth? Nope, I mean the weapons of righteousness. But you mean the sword? Nope, I mean the weapons of righteousness. We'll get it into detail in a few years. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3. Let me show you what this is. I have heard more people tell me what spiritual warfare is, and all I can think about 99% of the time is, have you not read? (laughs) Okay, because this right here is spiritual warfare. This is it. Remember, 2 Corinthians is ministry. Part of ministry is going to be dealing with a hostile world, right? The holiness of God, a hostile world. Here's what he says. Though we walk in the flesh. Okay, this ain't got nothing to do with sin. This means I'm an earthen uh, earthen vessel. It means I'm human. It means I'm of the flesh. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Okay, now remember, we're looking for weapons of righteousness. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Okay? We do not war according to the flesh. You know one of the things that I see in the body of Christ today? A huge percentage war according to the flesh. And you know what? The outcome is always the same. Okay? It's divisive. It has no healing process. It has no curing process to it. It has no ability to bring the thoughts of the individual captive to God. It don't do it. It usually just makes people mad. (laughs) All right? We live as human beings, but we don't fight spiritual battles the way human beings fight them. We do not battle against evil. We do not battle against error. We do not battle against the powers of darkness. Those who would attack truth. We don't. And and when we have to fight these, we don't do it with human philosophy. We do not do it with human wisdom, with human understanding, with human rationality. The systems and the methods and the ingenuities that each and every one of us have, have no effect on darkness. Hear me well. I don't care how tricky you are. I don't care what gimmick you use. It does not do anything to darkness. Look at verse 4. Our weapons are not of this flesh. Not of the flesh. But divinely powered 
for the destruction of fortresses. Divinely powerful are our weapons. We don't fight for truth. We don't fight for the souls of humanity with ingenuity. We don't do it with big screen projectors. We don't do it with rock and roll music. We don't do it with entertainment. We don't do it with psychology. We don't do it with politics. We must destroy fortresses. We must destroy strongholds. And you don't do evil, dark fortresses with entertainment. We need divine power. The destruction of fortresses. Verse 5. We are destroying what? Speculations. Be sitting down for this because this is going to either make you really mad or it's going to make you go, oh wow. Or you're going to sit there and say, I don't see why you got excited about this. I knew this all along. <laughs> and I can look at every one of you and tell you which one of those you fall into. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. When I hear our former president tell me that Jehovah, God, and Allah are the same, they'll make me come over. I mean, bless his heart. Bless his heart. You just want to send him an email. Have you not read? They are raised up. Listen, I, I, this is so easy and it gets me into so much trouble. It's ideas, people. It's just crazy human ideas. It's human philosophies. It's human wisdom. It's human reasoning. It's human rationalization. And it all comes out of one tub of intellectual pride. Intellectual pride. It's where we come up with our ideas. It's where we come up with our methods. It's where we come up to, with all of these things that we design to justify the sinner and to justify the sin. And you can't walk into that battle with fleshly weapons. You have the word of truth and the power of God. And that will bring righteousness. And you will have to fight with it in both hands. Because it will be all around you. Sinners have fortified themselves in their ideology. They invent, hear me, they invent an intellectual system to protect their sinful nature, their sinful behavior. And they do it in the name of the church. Everybody's worried about Mitt Romney being a Mormon. Well, I know a guy who went to a church for 20 years who believes in gay marriage. Really? Really? I don't care. I mean, I'm not a deep theologian, but this is a crazy idea. This is a speculation, and you think you have made it lofty. And it's not. Sinners fortify themselves. They build a fortress. They don't understand. Let me tell you something. Everything I've heard in politics right now, the key to it is not one of them, hear me well, understands human depravity. Not one of them. And let me tell you something. If you ain't got that one figured out, then you're coming up with a system that will embrace it. And that's the key. I think man is really actually at his heart very good. It's just every once in a while society forces him to be very bad. Really. And they think that I'm the idiot. 
They don't understand spiritual ignorance, and they definitely do not understand divine grace. Remember? To them, the cross is what? Foolishness. Christian warfare. When I hear people say, well, I'm getting into spiritual warfare. All right, is to pull down human reason. Tear it down. I want to attack and destroy human speculation. I want to obliterate human wisdom. And I do it with truth. I do it with truth. They are these things, speculations and lofty things, are raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to what? Obedience of Christ. It's the pride of intellectualism. These towers, these ramparts, a rampart of pride. They are tombs of human wisdom. They are tombs of human philosophy. They are, in a biblical precedence, sinful defiance of the knowledge of God. I remember, uh, was it last week, I guess it was, Neil Armstrong died. I remember sitting in front of the TV watching it. And as stuff come out about it, they were afraid that they didn't know how deep the dust was on the moon. And so when they were landing on uh, the Eagle at Tranquility Base, they were ready to hit the emergency I'm out of here button. Okay, because they thought that if this thing landed, all of a sudden it'd just sink into a bunch of powder. Okay, and uh, it didn't. It landed and we all got to walk on it. Then they were all scared to death. They fired this engine and this engine was designed that it either fired or it didn't. And if it didn't, it never would. Okay, and Nixon had actually written a speech to the people that if he hit the button and it didn't launch... <laughs> Well, they're going to die, <laughs> and we can't get to them. And it was going to be given early, and then they had a, a set date. From this time on, we will not communicate with you. Now, how would you like to fly onto the moon knowing that if this sucker won't start to get me off of this, that they ain't going to talk to me no more? And they, I don't know what the time frame was for them to die, but <laughs> I'm sitting there going, really? And so that's human wisdom. We hope they can get off that sucker. Because <laughs> if not, ooh, we're going to look bad. But I have a speech. I will give you a speech that says, they died gallantly. Okay? And they're driving General Motors and it was out of warning. Too many miles. You know, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? We throw all of our weight and trust on the man's knowledge and wisdom. And I ask you a simple question. Really? Really, I remember this boat that was unsinkable. And God said, what? I had a preacher build one out of gopher wood that lasted longer than yours. That's the kind of stuff that I want us to think about. When, you know, people say, well, because people ask me about psychology. You know the father of psychology is? The one who came up with it said, this is good. A guy named Freud. Okay? He wrote a wonderful paper on paranoia. You know why? He was a cokehead. Now, for those of you who may not have ever read anything on cocaine, it makes you paranoid. And if you sit around and do it all the time, what are you going to focus on? And I'll come up with something brilliant about it. You know what? Get rid of paranoia. Don't pack your nose. Dude, I should have been a doctor. Okay? And so we're going to take psychology and we'll blend it with Christianity. And we're going to get a better what? No. I ain't doing it. I have no use for it. I ain't wavering. I ain't blinking. I ain't offering. The reasoning of men. I spoke at a college a few years ago down in uh, Gunnison, and they, I didn't know I got set up for this thing. All of a sudden, I knew I had to debate creation and evolution. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I thought I was supposed to be teaching like a Christian Bible study to a Christian group on the campus. No, no, you're going to come up against two college professors and you, and you'll discuss the difference between evolution and, and creation. And I'm sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. 
Okay? But at the time, I was teaching, I don't remember if it was a Sunday school class or, uh, uh, maybe it might have been Sunday night, on Genesis. And I had three and a half years of notes on Genesis 1 and 2. So I didn't even take my Bible out with me. I just took my notes and I defeated. It was funny. They were very generous and gracious to me when I came in. The two professors, they shook my hand and how great it is for me to come down and how wonderful it was. And they wouldn't even shake my hand when I got done. Okay. And I mean, they were ticked. And I kept thinking, did I even spend the night down here? Maybe I should just get back over Monarch Pass and get a snow or something. Because I did not use... Quote, unquote, the Bible. I use science to prove that there's no way evolution or that, uh, yeah, evolution can work. It can't happen. Listen, go look. Go do your homework. Go look at a protein molecule. If it's alive, it has a protein molecule. And if you take a snake's protein molecule, I don't care how bad that snake wants to be a monkey, that protein molecule is going to only make one thing. And they may say, well, I want to be a monkey. I don't care. You're still going to wake up with a stinking snake. Well, but if you radiate it, all right, now it's deformed, stinking snake. That's what science says. But, ah, oh, but I'm thinking that there's evidence for evolution. I'm thinking, does your parents have any children that lived? I say these things because that is the, we are against the reasoning and rationale of humanity is our spiritual war. And we bring the truth of God in the power of God, and that is the weapons of righteousness, and you better have them in both hands. Look around. It is all against truth. The world is full of illicit ideas. It's full. The buildings, the fortresses are against the invasion of God in life. We create, humanity creates his own ideas. And what you are in as a Christian, as a minister of the Most High God, is a battle for ideas, and it's ideological. Spiritual warfare, you're going to be bummed out about this, but it's nothing but pure doctrine. Theological doctrine. Who is God? Truth. My responsibility as a Christian, your responsibility as a Christian is to rightly divide truth so you can confront the error of false that attacks truth. There's no place for compromise. There is no place for viewpoints. There is no place. Well, that's your own interpretation. We are to show ourselves approved. What? Workers rightly dividing truth. We must storm the fortresses of human ideas. We must tear down the pillars of human philosophy. Our goal is to take these thoughts captive. We attack these fortresses so that we can cause them to bow to the truth of God and them become captive to Jesus Christ. We bring them to Christ so that they can bring their thoughts to bow to the true Lord and the true Master and the true Creator. All those thoughts of men, we must demolish them. And we must do this because that's the only way you're going to get them to Christ. That's why we confront. I had a discussion just this week on, well, I can't believe in God because if there was really a God then how could there be so much evil in the world? That's the easiest one out there to defeat. Turn it around. Blink. Then there is no evil. I don't care what you do. There's no evil. Well, that's not right. Oh, wait a minute. You can't have it both ways. Either God says this is evil, or you just say, well, whatever feels good, do it. But the only reason I know the answer to that is because I want to show myself approved, rightly dividing truth. Listen, they reject the truth. Why? Because they love their darkness. That is not rocket science. That's easy. I like my sin. If I... 
come to you, then gosh, I have to give up my sin. Or to be replaced with something that you can't even grasp. You bring sinners to truth, you have to expose their errors. And when you expose their errors to truth, the towers will crumble down. And the weapons of our battle are the truth of God. There are no gimmicks. We confront the fortresses of ideologies with truth. What Paul did, day in, day out, night and day, with much enduring. Basically, the sum of the Apostle Paul's life is that with much enduring, he did and dealt with the hostilities of the world and the holiness of God. And he did with endurance. Okay, now then. Paul should be touted as a hero, if you think about it. There should never be, you know, everybody was talking about how will Neil Armstrong be remembered. Think about the Apostle Paul. Where is his status? I think that he was the single greatest man this planet, human, this planet's ever seen. Okay? Jesus is God. All right? But I believe Paul. And people can argue with me. That's fine. Well, I believe it was Peter. That's fine. But I think about the impact that he had. And yet... At his last trial, no one was there to defend him, and he ended up having his head removed in a stinkhole prison in Rome. But see, he understood that because by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers, yet true, well-known, yet unknown, but yet well-known, as dying, yet behold, we live, punished, but yet put to death, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor and making many rich, having nothing yet possessing all things. See, he understood it because when you understand the privilege of who it is you work with and you have the passion to understand that the day of salvation is right now and then you understand that the power that you have in dealing with either the horrible, hostile world that you're in or the holiness that God has set you apart to, then you'll step into the paradox. And that's what we'll look at next week. Father, to your glory and praise, thank you for my brother Paul. I thank you for the amazing things that he did. And yet, Father, it almost seems as if he was forgotten. Lord, I know he was your faithful servant. I know he endured much because of being a faithful servant. Lord, this group that is gathered here today in your name, I beg you. I beg you that you would make them faithful. And that, Father, even though they will endure much, May that be the sum of our lives until that day our faith becomes sight with much endurance, my King, my Savior, my Lord. Let us run this race in a manner worthy with much endurance and much endurance. Father, let us understand our weapons. Let us understand our enemy. Father, let us understand your word. Father, let us exalt in your power unleashed. To your glory and praise. Amen.